very, very um, out of this world chapter. We may read this at first glance. Many of us have read it many times, but it's packed with lofty truths that seem to be out of this world. And you think, what on earth is Paul talking about? It's like a constant barrage of declarations basically saying you are free to do the right thing all the time. How? Because you died to sin. And Pastor was sharing on that, uh, preaching on that, uh, I believe a couple Sundays ago, that we should have a burial service for the self. It's exactly in line with what it's written in Romans 6. How do you do this? Julie read a verse where a word reckon was there. Reckon. Anyone know what reckon means? What does that mean? Reckon. To count it as so or to, um, a reckoning is a pay, is a final, uh, payment that you have to, you have to settle accounts, uh, also. Yes. Yes. So you have several definitions and one could be take account of, you have to reckon with something or settle. Um, also expect it to be true belief. In other words, I'm going to believe that this thing is true. And how perfectly that aligns, that definition with the way it's used in the word, because it's faith. None of us went to a physical cross and got crucified so that we can say, well, I got crucified too. And uh, when I died, I believed I died with Jesus Christ. We don't have to. But something happens when we're baptized. Something happens when we come to the cross where we actually believe a declared statement issued from the highest authority in the universe. And he says, you have died to sin. What is What does that mean? What does that mean? I've died to sin. You mean, I don't have to sin anymore? But I know I don't have to, but what more is there? Sin shall not have dominion over you. How powerful. What does that mean? Verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. What does dominion mean? Anybody? What is dominion? Power. Control. Yes. Praise God. Exactly. It's a, it's a power over something. But control, both are perfectly true. Something has dominion over you. That means it's ruling you. You have dominion over something, that means it's under your control. The Bible says, man's mortal enemy, sin, doesn't have any control over you whatsoever. For you are not under law, but under grace. What does that mean, not under law? What law? The old covenant. You know what this says right here? There's something more powerful than the Old Testament covenant. It's called grace. It's actually powerful. We're so used to, and we've, we've defined that before, 
especially with the verse in Titus. I believe it's Titus 2.12. Let's just turn there for a moment. Keep your finger here if you have a physical Bible or something, or if it's electronic, you can just go back to it. But let's go to Titus. And one of the brothers, I believe, quoted this recently. Uh, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Someone please read that. Praise the Lord. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Praise God. Praise God. That word teaching there, it's talking about actually training. Like you train a child. Instruction, but also training. What does that mean? So it's not just a lecture. It's actually, I'm in the moment with power. God's grace is not just a favor. It's power. It's power. So the grace is actually more powerful than the law. That's where we're under right now, under the covenant of grace. Now, practically speaking, what does it mean in my day-to-day living? Exactly what is said. I have a power within me through Christ with whom I was crucified. I'm no longer a slave of sin. I'm a slave of Christ. And that grace is so powerful, it trains me. I'm in training to deny every single time anything that is ungodly and worldly forbidden desires. Rather, I'm going to live very alert, not drunk, sober, awake and alert, righteous, doing the right thing, and godly, imitating God, being very devoted to Him. When? Right now. Right now, in this present age. That means, heaven's power has invaded the earth through Christ, and whoever truly has been born again, they have more power than they realize Oftentimes. It's the enemy that keeps us ignorant. And granted, we can't just read that magnificent chapter in Romans and expect to understand every bit right away. We have to take our time, as it says in Philippians, work out your own salvation with, who can finish that sentence? Fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. I have to work something out. That means I have to study this. I have to, I have to say, Lord, how does this translate into my behavior? My attitude. Lord, my reactions when I get, uh, sent these fiery darts from Satan, from hell, to tempt me to do something wrong. How do I appropriate this power because I can, I'm, I'm elated. I'm excited at the concept that sin no longer rules over me. But how do I actually put into practice? Faith is the victory that overcometh the world. The more I believe what I read. Now, I cannot believe what I don't read or I don't hear. So that's the first line of attack Satan will come in our lives. Always, regardless of who we are. He has a no discrimination policy. 
He will try every single type of person, type of Christian. To do what? Rob you from knowing who you are, what God has given you. Now, if you don't know that you are a soldier on the winning side and that you have weapons available, why? You're going to be just wandering right into warfare and get slaughtered. That's his hope. And the first line of attack is to keep us from God's word so we don't know who we are and what God has given us. You know, when we first hear that, you get puzzled. You say, but I know a lot of people who say they're Christian. They're getting defeated left and right. This guy's smoking this. That one's drinking that. That one's womanizing over there. That woman's cheating on her husband. They're gossiping over the slander. I guess the only difference is that I'm not Buddhist. Hence, I'm Christian. I'm not Hindu. I'm Christian. I'm not an atheist. So I'm Christian. And this is what I believe. What do you believe? Jesus Christ died on the cross and I believe in him that my sins are washed away and I have everlasting life. Fine. How come you don't act like it? Oh, I do. I I, I kiss my Bible many times a day. I go to church and, but are you a slave of sin? Ah, what do you mean? Are you a slave of sin? In other words, do you commit sin? Because if you commit sin, Jesus said, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Uh, well, everybody commits sin. You see? This is the type of answer that comes out from people who are not committed to Christ the way they should be who don't even know who they are fully and what power they have. In Ephesians chapter 1, it says, the power of God is exceedingly great toward us. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us? Who believe, believe in him. So, faith, the degree to which I really believe what God has said is going to transform me with power because I know now I really have it. Not I'm thinking it up and I'm trying to believe. It's a fact. God is giving these statements in Romans 6 saying you're dead to that stuff. The other day as I was studying the word I came across the statement that I've shared before from the word of God uh, regarding crucifixion where the apostle says I am crucified to the world and the world to me. What does that mean? Well, I worked it out. I was praying and I was reading and meditating and God helped me to work it out. How? Well, I thought, what does crucifixion mean? So, suppose we can put two people instead of Paul in the world. One guy's dying. He's being crucified, very gruesome. Just like the Lord was. 
And how does it look? The wounds are there. Blood is dried up. Maybe some of it's fresh. The man is lifeless. The man is not even there. He's been crucified. Now, if you try to tempt that, that man who's been crucified, all the wounds are there. Blood has ebbed out of his veins and lots of wounds dried up. You can just imagine the pain he went through. He's gone. He's dead. Can you try to tempt that guy with pornography? It wouldn't make any sense to try to tempt him. Because you know he's not going to respond. He's dead. He really cannot respond. When he was alive, he could have responded. Maybe he was a slave to it. No longer. He's dead. He cannot respond to it. Now across from him, there's another man. And that man is crucified too. He's also dead. He's not there. His body's there. Corpse is there. And you see the wounds dried up. The rich hues of red. Dark brown. Human blood exposed to the air. Oxygen. He's gone. Now, if you have two crucified people, can they do anything to each other? Obviously not. That's what Paul was talking about when he said, I'm crucified to the world and the world is crucified to me. I'm crucified to the world. I'm dead to it. I have absolutely no reaction to it at all. I'm, I'm dead to that life. I don't live that anymore. No matter what it tries, it cannot get me anymore because I'm dead to it. Similarly, the world is, I'm, the world is crucified to me. I'm a dead entity to it and it's a dead entity to me. Two dead bodies. What can they do to each other? Nothing. There's nothing, not only not in common other than death. But there's no possible way to get them to tempt each other. So the world stands for all the darkness, all the demonic things, all the temptations. And the Bible says, you have been crucified to the world. There's no reaction possible. The world has been crucified to you. There's no reaction possible. You can't have anything to do with it because you're dead. And that thing to me is dead too. Not only is there no connection, there's no temptation. Now we may think, well, that's uh, saying that 
sounds good and it's an ideal world, ideal statement, but we do get tempted. So how do you reconcile that? Faith. Faith is a victory. The more we know our position and what God has given us, since we trusted in him, the more we believe, the more the power begins to flow from that positional power and domination that we have with Christ right into the practical things we face every day. Faith is the victory. No wonder the Bible keeps talking about faith. And faith, how does it come? By hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the devil is so clever. He knows. He knows. All I have to do is get the people distracted and get them confused, get them lazy, get them uh, have wrong priorities. So they don't get the word. And so what's going to happen is they're going to keep living a defeated life and wonder, like 40 years in the wilderness, why am I not able to overcome this particular thing? I keep falling. I keep confessing. I keep falling. I keep confessing. But I don't have the victory. Why? You know what? That will be right there with the answer. He'll say, you don't have the victory because you're not supposed to have it. I know, I know what it, what it says in the scriptures and what they say, but the, the fact is everybody keeps falling. And then we buy that lie because we tried so hard so long. It didn't seem to work for us. And so we end up basically forfeiting those areas. And that's a shame, and it's a contradiction, because that's not what the Lord said. What does Romans 6.14 say? Someone please read that again. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Praise God. Praise God. The law came by Moses, it's written in the Gospel of John, but grace and truth by Jesus Christ. That means the superior, something more, much more. So it's not just me looking at the Decalogue or Ten Commandments on the wall and saying, well, let me see now, I became a Christian. So the first commandment is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make a graven image, no likeness of anything. In heaven, on earth, or underneath the earth, you should not bow down to it. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Honor your father and mother. Um, the Sabbath day, don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't covet. Don't bear false witness. You just think about those things and you say, well, this is the law. This is God's word. You know, I became a Christian. I, I just got to do these things. I'm trying hard. Give me a break. <laughs> and, it's so hard because temptation is everywhere to commit adultery and the ability to steal and pilfer on the job and cut corners. It's just everywhere. It's just calling me. When you talk about murder, if I hate my brother, well, there's some people I hate and I just can't shake it off of me. Some people I really love, but some people I really hate. So it's pretty hard. I'm, I'm trying. Be patient with me. 
What are you trying to do? I'm trying to keep the Ten Commandments. Oh, that's the way to salvation? I thought it was through Christ, and I thought the Ten Commandments were just a portion of many, many commands that God gave. And can we do it? Can we get eternal life? The law is not able to give us eternal life, the Bible says. Because it was weak through the flesh. Somebody had to come and die on the cross. It's not to say that we couldn't keep the law. It can't save us. The way Christ saved us with his blood. Everything was pointing to that. And the people in the Old Testament lived by faith. The ones who did, they were saved. But it was always pointing towards God. That his grace is there to help me to actually... My father used to pray this every time we used to have family mm-hmm. prayer growing up. He used to say, Lord, thank you for inspiring us to come and pray. Because we could have done other things, but it's God's mm-hmm. Holy Spirit that inspires us to come to him. You have the law of Moses. People who tried to keep circumcision rights and all those things. The Bible says you can't be saved like that. You have to have faith. And there are people, even down to John the Baptist time, as we know, his parents who were blameless and they exhibited faith But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. He gave us power. The law could not give us power. But the grace that came through Jesus gave us power. This is not to say that we couldn't keep the law. But it's faith that's the victory. And there's a definite Comparison there in John's gospel. He says, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth by Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is actually called eternal life. He said, our eyes have seen and we have touched. We've actually touched eternal life. Who's that? Jesus Christ. We've touched eternal life. And this is a life we're declaring to you, this eternal life, John said in the epistle. So these commandments are not meant to be looked upon and then try our best to obey it, not understanding we've been given grace by God, this power to actually fulfill the law and keep all the commandments. But it happens through as we began today. Us dying to sin, and how do you do it? You first believe the declaration God said. He said, I'm telling you, sin has no dominion. It has no power. I cut the cord. I broke the chains. Now you have to make sure you don't go looking for the chains to put it back on you. There's a big difference, isn't there? There's a huge difference between somebody saying, I'm waiting for God to deliver me. A Christian. A non-Christian can say that, but not a Christian. Because the Lord actually died on the cross To cancel out the power of Satan over our lives. 
And as long as we believe and we keep walking with him, the grace that's ours, like weapons, will begin to be put into work, action. It will put it to work. Every time we shoot down temptation. But I have to believe. So this chapter is very, very powerful. Of course, it leads into chapter 7 and then 8. A great chapter about walking in the Spirit, being freed. And what that looks like, the full victory. Over here is the appropriation. In the beginning, understanding that, you know, you came into Christ, you're baptized. And God's grace is with you. And sin shall not have dominion over you. Now, yesterday, last night, we heard about generational curse. We heard about curse from the servants of God and curse from men. And Christians can carry these portions. But again, when the word of God comes, we understand I'm not supposed to be bound. See, a lot of Christians don't know that. They think that this is the way it is. You know, I'm free, but I'm not free. And that's the way it is because that's how, what I see in everybody's life. Um, how do I get delivered from this? If Christ died and delivered me already, I need to hear the word. I need to have that grace to become the power in my life by believing. Now, the belief can come through somebody reading. It's true. Somebody can say, well, I don't have anybody here to preach me, or, preach to me or deliver me. Um, I have alcoholism, let's say somebody says in my generation. And I can't help it. You know, it's in my genes. Everybody I know, back to when they're all alcoholics and I have that unfortunate gene. And I can't break free. I believe in Christ. I cried at the cross. I, Bow down to the Lord. Say, Lord, help me. I want to live for you. I left a lot of other things, but this thing is still there. If nobody's around, and God hasn't sent anyone, there's no one available. Reading Romans chapter 6 can cause that faith to rise, to seek God for the appropriation of what he purchased for us with his blood. You see? When we get delivered, Christ has, doesn't have to go back to the cross. Say, oh, you didn't get victory over there? Let me go back and die again. No, no. Once he died to sin, and that's it. That means he did it all on the cross, but it's a matter of me believing what he said. Sin should not have dominion over you, and alcoholism is a sin. It's a disease, but it's also a sin. It's a sin hyphen disease. And Christ came. To deliver us from the sin and the sickness. Hallelujah. How much faith do we have in Christ? Do we understand how big he is? Do we understand what he did on the cross? Do we understand Romans 6? Let me read it through one time. What shall we say then? In fact, let me go to the NLT. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? And as I mentioned before, each of these statements 
each of the statements must be read slowly, seeking God's help to understand exactly how to appropriate it in our lives. And that's what the devil's after. He doesn't want us to read, number one. Second, he doesn't want us to read properly. And third, he doesn't want us to put faith in it, the Word of God. If we can defeat him on these three, we'll actually begin to walk in a very powerful way in our Christian lives. Or have you forgotten, verse 3 again, that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death, for we died. Remember the concept of servant, slave? It's a dying, when it comes to Christ, is a different kind of service. It's a total death to myself. I'm really alive for Jesus because I died to my old life, to the world, to sin. And I, I'm raised from that state to a new life, and it's exclusively for God. Hallelujah. Exclusively exclusively for God. Everything I am, everything I have. Now, I better not say those things and say, oh, I understand, that's what I am. I serve God, I love God. How do we use our mouths? Do we say things that we know in our conscience the Holy Spirit doesn't approve of? That means we're not serving God at that point. It's true. All we have to do is say, my God, I I withdrew my service from you, Lord, and I began to serve me. Oh, Jesus, I don't want to be like this, Lord. Help me. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives, new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death. How did that happen? We weren't there when he was crucified. It happens by faith. We actually died with him when we go to the cross by faith. Today, in prayer, in believing, confessing Jesus as Lord, believing that God raised him from the dead on the third day. He died first in his life. I am now identified with Christ. And in him, just like in Adam, everybody died because of his transgression. So Christ by his obedience and his vicarious atonement. He did it in our place. We're made alive in him. So in him we died and in him we have new life. Now, does he go back to bearing sins again? No, it's done. No more. It's done. Like that, we're done with sin. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that powerful? What is this, perfectionism? No, it's scripture. It's Christian Christian life. That means sin really cannot do anything to me unless I go and say, here, put the handcuffs on. I want to have some, spend some time with you. Put me in the slammer. What a contradiction. What a shame. And Paul is appealing to our reason in that way by the Spirit of God. Hey, he said, this is the truth if you believe in Christ. You shouldn't be acting like this. Because you don't have to. Because sin has no dominion over you. Really? Why do I feel this way? That's because you don't believe. That's because you don't believe enough to get close to God and live with Him. You don't believe enough to rise up and say, I hate this thing. And I'm going to do everything in my power. You know, people in the world can do that. I know people who are not even saved. They kicked cigarettes. No, that doesn't mean they're free in every area. But just as an example, example, 
They just decide, you know what, this stuff is killing me. Of course we know people like that. Another person decides, you know what, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. You know, I've been having bad times uh, stealing. I don't want to do it anymore. Guys, I'm not going to be there on the next heist. What happened to you? What's wrong with you? Oh, he got religious. No, 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 I'm not religious. I just don't want to do it anymore because it's, it's like a risk, you know. I don't want to do it anymore. Do you have to be a Christian to talk like that? No. So people have power to make decisions. If the motivation is sufficient enough and they have the resources, they step up and they say, no. How much more is a Christian? So it's a, a great tragedy and a tremendous shame to say I'm a Christian and say I'm in bondage. That means your Christ is weak. That means it's a sham. The devil laugh and say, that's your bluff. Christianity is nothing. Look at that. You carry your Bible, you read your Bible. Nothing's getting in because you're still a slave to sin. You can't be a Christian and be a slave to sin. It doesn't make any sense because Christ makes us free. The appeal is very powerful here. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. There's a resurrection coming. Where the life that we have now, as I mentioned in Ephesians 1, is so powerful at a certain point in time, the incorruptible life, Paul says in Corinthians, will swallow up the corruption. And we will become clothed with a new body. Absolutely awesome. That's the power of his life that's in us now where we are raised from being a slave to sin and we're walking in the newness of life right now in anticipation of the new body that we'll get, but we have victory right now. Hallelujah. Knowing, verse 6, that this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin, this entire sin business, might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. You see, the reckoning is I'm believing what God said, that my old life has been put to death. The only way I will serve sin is if I go and say, cuff me. Come, boss me around. Doesn't make any sense. Verse 7, for he who has died has been freed from sin. That it, and that was an example I gave about the two crucified people. They're dead. You can't do anything to them. There's no stimuli that can wake them up. They're dead. You can't take drugs and say, hey, I'll give you this free. They're dead. You can't take pornography or some illicit thing. They're dead. No amount of alcohol, even tons and tons and cases of it free. He's dead. There's no response at all. God said, that's the truth. When you belong to me, you're dead to sin. The only way 
you'll be practicing lawlessness and doing what you shouldn't be doing is if you go to sin and the devil and say, can I fellowship with you? The devil will think, what a fool. Come on in. Slaughter us and bring shame and reproach to Christ's name. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, verse 8, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, see, everything Christ experienced in terms of the overpowering resurrection, it begins this appropriation now, way before I get resurrected in my body, physical body. There's been a spiritual resurrection already which is known as being born again. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. You can't put him to death anymore. He willingly offered himself one time, and that's it. That was one purpose from eternity past, to die for humanity. He's not dying anymore. For the death that he died, he died to sin. He never sinned. But he carried the sins of all of us. He's not bearing any sin anymore. He already bore it. He defeated Satan on the cross. He overcame all of our sins. So in him, we have all the victory. He died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Okay? Beautiful. So Christ came into the world sinless, went to the cross, with our sins. He remained sinless in himself. But he bore our sins. He identified with our sins. He became a curse so we can become free. He became poor. Buffeted. Bruised. Beaten. Crucified. So we can be alive and comfortable. Beautiful. And after he died, he rose from the dead on the third day. And he ascended to heaven after 40 days. And that's where he's right now. Right at the right hand of the Father. Hallelujah. From that position, he's going to come back to judge the living and the dead. And take over all the kingdoms of the world. Create a new heavens, new earth. After the thousand year reign, millennial reign, and all the things that he has planned. That's beautiful. I like hearing about Jesus. We look at the next line. Likewise, you, who, me? Yes, you. Reckon yourselves, count it the same way. You, just like Christ, you're dead indeed to sin. Now, Christ died to sin once. He bore our sins. But the appropriation is by faith. I've also died to sin. It has no power on me. I used to sin. No power anymore. What's the alternative? Again, we never are in a vacuum. Oh, I don't sin anymore. What are you doing? Nothing. No, I'm, I'm, I'm triumphing in victory. I'm alive to God. I'm serving God. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. Am I a slave of Christ or a slave of sin? You can't have both. It's a direct contradiction. A Christian who sins is actually withdrawing from the life of Christ and beginning to wither and is in danger of being separated from him forever because they're choosing to serve the devil. 
But a word like this from Romans 6 can snap us out of that drunken spiritual state to know, wait a minute. I, I just heard sin doesn't have dominion over me. Christ died to sin once and I'm dead also. What does all this mean? That, you mean I have that kind of power? If you belong to Jesus, absolutely. Now I'm going to start using that power. I'm going to beat down any temptation Satan brings. I'm not giving to anything. Can't have me, devil. I'm full-time slave of God. Hallelujah. I'm free. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, you see, because of this fact, this truth, this declaration from heaven, God doesn't lie. He's telling you as it is. You're my son, you're my daughter. Sin has no dominion over you. I'm going to read that in a couple of verses. But look what he says here up until now. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't let sin boss you around and try to make you do what it wants you to do. I've cut the power to sin. Don't you revive it. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Man, you have to slam that sin with the power of Christ because it's a shame for you to get slammed by temptation. Become a slave to that all over again. Why did Christ die for you? Somebody says, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm not able. Get closer to God. Faith will rise. The new you is going to have victory every single time. That's God's design. And yet, God's grace is available. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not saying God expects us to sin, but he's saying if you do, if you choose to, you see? We can't take it as a, a blanket statement of a sort of a caveat from God, you know? Here's a clause over here. I know I gave you total victory, but you will sin sometime. Never did God say that. Never. It's always a choice by a person who is not Believing in what God has done. Similar to James uh, chapter 3, talking about the tongue. You know how many preachers and how many commentaries, how many Christians believe? Well, James said, you know, we all offend, we all stumble. Are you kidding me? We need to understand, just like Romans 7, the apostle James, who's holy, is not saying, I keep falling it's like how people quote Paul and say, well, Paul says I'm the chief of sinners. No, no, no. He's talking about in his flesh, in his old life. That was my life story, he's saying. Even though he's brilliant and he kept the law, actually. He said, but the holiness that I get from Jesus shows up all my deficiency. You know what? I went around rounding of Christians who killed them. I'm the chief of sinners. you understand? But the devil takes that and twists it. He said, well, Paul was the chief of sinners, so we all sin. James said, we all offend, we all stumble. And if anybody doesn't stumble in the word, what they speak, well, that's the perfect man able to control the whole body. So what is he saying? Is it a contradiction? You know, if you don't say the wrong thing with your tongue, you're not going to fall. You're perfect. I'm sorry, but that's the ideal perfect world. We all stumble. 
That's not what James is saying. James is saying, this is the potential, if you don't know the secret weapon of God's word, of who you are created in Christ Jesus to be. You overcome sin now. If it says in Romans 6, 14, sin shall not have dominion over you. Is James saying, ah, but it does because we all stumble. We all say the wrong thing. Is that a contradiction or what? No, 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 no. He's saying, this is the way people choose to live when they don't know the secret. You can actually control your tongue. My God, what does Christianity mean? If you can't control your tongue, it's one of the first things that God touches. The devil has twisted so much and people have just been hoodwinked by Satan, defeated, walking in rebellion to God, thinking that they're safe and they're just being human. Verse 12, therefore, do not let sin have dominion, reign in your mortal body. He's going to go further. He's going to say every single member of your body, whether your eyes, your ears, your tongue, everything, 100% given over to God. What does that mean? I'm not renting it to anything, anyone. It belongs to Jesus. Hallelujah. Remember what we heard. That's what we share. Satan will not be satisfied to rent anybody. he come to kill. And do not present your members. See? You don't go to Satan and say, hey, here are my hands. I like to use my hands to do what you want me to do. Cuff me. Here in my eyes, I got saved. I got born again, as they say. I've been born again. But I do like to see some things, Satan. Can you? Can you give me a couple of things to kind of keep me going? We go involuntarily. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. Remember, you were dead. You just woke up from the death. You're brand new. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. You take a guitar. You take a keyboard. You take drums or whatever instrument. Person's not born again. Guess what they're blowing on their saxophone? All that jazz. All the stuff that has corruptible things. I'm not talking about jazz music per se. Instrumentals or some chords that sound jazzy. I'm talking about the whole emphasis of worldly music. It's no good. Now, here's a person using that saxophone or that guitar for the devil's service. It's a means, it's an instrument of unrighteousness because through that instrument and through the lyrics and through the style and the dance and the appearance and all of that charisma, it's fully for Satan. To do what? Cause people to go and dance and, you know, make themselves available for more sin. To be slaughtered. Now I got born again. What are you going to do with that guitar? Well, in some cases, God will say, demolish it. But for the analogy's sake, you consecrate that. You say, Lord, cleanse this thing, Lord, 
from now on, you know what? Every single stroke on the guitar, from the string to the strings, from single notes to chords to full songs, the lyrics, all things are presented to God's service exclusively. Hallelujah. God says your body is an instrument, not a musical instrument, but it is an instrument, it's a tool. Everything is used for a purpose. Don't let the devil play you. I just say, I'm not presenting my body anymore. I'm not going there. I'm not talking to that guy, that girl. I'm not going to ask for anything. I'm not going anywhere. There's going to be temptation. Somebody said, well, I guess I have to leave the world because I have a hard time getting to work in the morning. It's very hard to go past the drug pushers and the prostitutes and the billboards. It's just a struggle every day. That person doesn't know who he is or she is. If they've been born again, they've been lied to. They don't know they're carrying a nuclear weapon to destroy and obliterate everything that Satan brings. That's how powerful the grace of God is. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? What is he saying here? You're born again. You're under grace now. You died for you on the cross. You have tremendous power. But if you go looking for sin and make yourself available to Satan, you become the devil's slave. You become sin's slave. Because to whom you give yourselves to obey, that's the thing or person to whom you are a slave. If you Commit sin, you are coming under its dominion all over again, and you will die eternally. But if you obey with the power that God has given you and the new life with joy, it leads you to righteousness, everlasting righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, Yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine, the teaching to which you were delivered. God brought us out of the former instruction and training and ungodliness and filthiness. And he says, I put you in a different school, brand new neighborhood, brand new school. Everything's brand new. Stay here, learn. You're free now. Don't go back to the old neighborhood. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Hallelujah. We're slaves of Christ forever and also his children, servants of the living God. And we're slaves to do what? The right thing every single time. We're committed to that. Now, how to appropriate this is to be completely broken and say, Lord, you know, I don't. What you say is the truth, not what I feel and what I think. I submit myself to you, Lord. 
And if you tell me it's a sin to argue with my brother and sister, to gossip, I'm not going to become a slave to that. I don't care who tries to bait me into that. Lord, if you tell me that it's a sin to try to compete in the house of God, it's an abomination to you. I'm not going to become the slave of that sin. I'm going to be content where you put me. Wait on you. Enjoy the fellowship with you, Lord. And serve you faithfully where you put me. Verse 18, And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. But just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness, now he gets into more detail. This is what people do. And of lawlessness, they break the law, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves of righteousness. And what's the end result? Holiness. For when you were slaves, look at the appeal, look at the lens to which the apostle keeps on hammering this point home. Isn't God so merciful and wonderful? He just covers everything. If we have patience to read and we have faith to believe, we will live in that grace. To overcome sin, to say no to ungodly desires. To live soberly, righteously, godly in this present generation. Verse 21, what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end of everlasting life. For the wages, the paycheck of sin is death. The reward of sin, committing sin, Recording is death. in progress. But the gift I'm not earning eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I get paid for sin, I can't have the gift. But if I let go of working for Satan and sin, I'll receive the gift. Now, as we conclude here, notice that it says slaves of God. Now we have a better understanding of what servant means serving God. You see, it's very involved. It's basic, but very involved. In fact, it's it's just over all our lives. To serve God doesn't mean just to do some work of ministry or to go help the homeless and feed the poor, to help people, you know, socially, even sincerely. Serving God involves 24-7 staying clear of sin. Being alive to God in righteousness. That's what it means to serve God. Hallelujah. Praise be to God.